0: I'm glad you're here. I want to say good morning to those watching on on Facebook too. Uh, my friend Trevor uh, had knee surgery this week after an accident working out. So Trevor, I'm uh, thinking about you, praying for you, my friend. But uh, uh, glad that you are here to join us this morning and uh, want to make sure that that God gets all the glory for what's going on. And so thanks for for being here. I pray that you walk away having heard from the Lord and not from me, because uh, I am not important and he is. And so let me just go to him and pray and uh, we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, this is the day you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I pray we listen with our hearts and not just our ears. God, I pray that, that your words will stick um, and not mine, because your word never comes back void. So to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was 18 years ago, March of 2000, uh, there were this this group of girls, there were five freshmen, there were a couple of sophomores, a couple of juniors, one senior, and they decided that they would try to win a state championship in basketball. Um they had a coach who really didn't know what he was doing, and uh that would be me. And uh and it was here at Round Rock Christian Academy and, and uh and we 1A try basketball, let's see what happens with this thing and go together. Um I had a pretty good season. We lost one game at home that year it was to a, a school Austin Waldorf and uh and they beat us. We made it to the state tournament. We won the semifinals. We were in the state championship game. And who were we playing? Austin Waldorf. Uh the thing about them, this is private school one A basketball. Their starting lineup six five, six four, six three, and a couple of five five or so guards they had. Like, this is David and Goliath, literally. And uh for us we had a six one sophomore with asthma. And uh, then we went to 5'7", twins, and pretty much shorter from there on out. That was our team. Um, and it was, it was a challenge for us, having already lost to them uh, right here in this gym. And then we're playing on the state championship. Everybody assumes, all right, we know who's going to win the state championship. They've already beat them. They'll beat them again. Let's move on to a better game. And sure enough, first half, they were just hammering us. Um, we couldn't stop them. We were down by 11 at halftime. And you know, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to change? So came up with a plan the second half. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we'll take our 6-1 our center and just play behind their big girl, and our wing will just stay right in front of her. We're just going to sandwich them and never let them pass the ball inside and leave their shooters wide open for open shots. That's what we'll do and hope they miss. And they did, actually. They started missing. We made a few baskets. Um, we'd start chipping away at this lead. With a minute to go, we take the lead. We are fired up. We're going to win. This is going to be awesome. Uh, we're still just covering up their big girls. They're getting frustrated. They're pushing. They're fouling. And so we're making some free throws. It's going pretty well. And then they have the ball. And this little girl, she hadn't made a shot the whole game, right at the near the free throw line area with two hands, does this. And just pushes it. And it's backward, 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 and went in. Tied up. Oh, we're going to overtime. And so we're going to overtime. Like, all right, is it going to start like it did the regular thing? Uh, we're going to get beat? No. We end up getting the ball, um, a girl named Ashley Westerfield, actually, freshman, five, seven, Mark's daughter, uh, hits three threes in overtime. We outscore them 14 to two and we win the state championship. Yeah. Uh, the, the banner hangs right there in the gym, the first state championship, uh, ever won by Round Rock Christian Academy back in 2000, 18 years ago. Uh, it was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. It was so much fun, uh, to, to do that. Never won a state championship and all the things I did in high school growing up. So it, it took some girls to win a state championship for me. And, uh, and so that was a great run and, and, uh, and had such a great time and such quality girls on that team. We really bonded and had a great time. But we had to change something significant halfway through. What, what we did the first time we played them, we lost. What we did in the first half, we lost. Something had to change. The strategy had to change. The game plan had to change. We did. We trusted it. And victory came as a result of that. What does that have to do with today? Well, turn your Bibles to Joshua 8 if you have your Bible, because we're going to jump in there. And that's going to help us kind of get this thing unpacked and understand where we're coming from. Because Mark last week left us in a really bad place. Really appreciate that, Mark. Um, as we're going through this Take the Land series, the book of Joshua, all the things that have gone on and, and happened, we've, we've beaten Jericho, we had a great victory there, um, and then last week we have this, we're going to go take on Ai, and they send them out, and, and we're going to send the spies, and they're going to go do this, and they come back and go, ah, oh, we only really need two or 3,000 people to beat them, it's going to be easy, and they got whooped. Um, it says they got routed is what they what happened to them. And they're down, they're defeated. It said the people's heart was like water. It melted. They're in a bad place. Defeat was significant. I think it's interesting that they call it a rout, though. It says that, that they were routed and 36 guys died. Well, 36 out of 3,000, I mean, there's casualties in war, right? It's things that happen. So why would, be, why would 36? It's a defeat, but really is it a rout? And the answer is yes, because in God's plan it was supposed to be zero. And so now these people are back, the Israelites are back, and, and they are depressed. They are bummed out. We have lost. We've been defeated. They are fearful. They're planning 36 funerals. They're thinking everybody in this place now knows that we can get beat. Like AI beat us. They're, they're not even that many people, and they beat us. And now everybody's going to think, well, if they beat them, then we can beat them. Let's go jump on board and let's go beat them too. We're going to be wiped out from the face of the earth. Oh, they're just so terrible for us. It's amazing that we as humans have this default of defeat. If one bad thing's happened, we hit a bump in the road, we have a defeat, something sets us back, well, I'll never win again. I mean, how many times have your kids done that? How many times have I talked to students done that? Something bad, I'll never pass that class. I'll never drive a car. I'll never get a date. I'll never. Like, I hear this stuff. We default to negativity and defeat so much. Can I tell you that even in Scripture at this time, God had already said, take the land. It's yours. These people in AI will be wiped out. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. You've been promised to populate the earth. Like, but they questioned God's promise because they suffered a defeat. They're now bummed out about it, like, there's nothing we can do. We're going to be terrible. God already told them they're going to be wiped out. AI is going to be wiped out, not them. But we forget God's promises when we get depressed. We forget God's promises when things don't go exactly how we want them to go. And, and we've got to get past this negative default that's there, this, this idea. Because God had already said, These, people in AI were not good people. I mean, I could tell you the horrors of what they did and how they killed people for sport and and, and the things that went on. It is horrible stuff. And so this is not a bunch of really nice people. This is very bad. That's why God says he's going to wipe them out. And he did. And we'll see that here in a moment. But we cannot cannot go to a default of, of a losing mindset. When God has given us victory. Can I tell you this, though, and, and, and you'll hear this a couple times probably throughout this. Just because God gives you something doesn't mean you won't have to fight for it. See, we, we, well, God gave it, to, gave it to me so it's just mine on a silver platter and I just walk away happy. No, God gives us everything with a purpose and there's many times that we need to fight for what he's given us. He gave them the land. They still had to go take it. The land was theirs. They had to go take it. I can pull out money and say, you want this, Huggies? You have to come get it before it's yours, right? You still got to get up and take it. Like, that's what we got to do. That's how it works. And so in, in, in a loss, if you think back to your times in, in athletics or even military stuff, a lot of times when you face a defeat, the coach responds with a chewing out, with a yelling and a screaming, or you're going to practice that much harder. You're going to work that much. That's what we're going to do. That was always a response. When I was an athlete, we play, we lose a game, especially one we shouldn't have lost you're going to pay for it the next day, right? You're going to have to work. You're going to run. You're going to do whatever. How God responds is completely different. Chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to look at this there. If you have your Bibles, Joshua 8, 1, it'll be on screen. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Look at the very first thing he does is encourage them. The very first thing he does is take them all the way back to chapter 1, when he first started talking to Joshua about taking over from Moses and says, don't be afraid don't be discouraged. I've got you. I'm going to be with you. Be of strong heart. Be a, be, be lion hearted. If you will, this is what he's saying to him. And now he comes back to it again in a moment of defeat, in a moment where they didn't do what God told them to do in a moment when they said, Oh, we got this. This is a little city. We beat Jericho, a big city. We'll beat this little one. And they lost. And now they're crushed. And instead of God chewing them out, say, well, I told you so. That's not what he did. Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Then he says this, take the whole army, because you didn't last time, that's my parentheses in there, and go up and attack AI. Hmm. For I have delivered into your hands the king of AI, his people, his city, and his land. Hey man, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go get the whole army. Not that little group that you had before. Go get the whole army and attack AI. I've given it to you. Like, okay, so what you want me to do is get the army and go back to where we just got beat? I don't know about you, I don't like to go back to places where I got beat. I want to find a different place. I like going to places where I win. I don't want to go back to places that I lose. Isn't it amazing how God will take us back to places where we've suffered defeat so he can teach us a lesson? Actually, so he can show us how to have victory with him instead of defeat apart from him. Gosh, God's so good at that. Nothing gets by him. He's so good with the details in what he's doing in that. And so he, he does this. And I will tell you that, that as he sends us back to these places, and, and maybe it's not a physical defeat of an army or a physical defeat of athletics, but there's a defeat in a relationship. There's a defeat in this. And he takes us back to that moment so we can learn our lessons. But I can tell you this, too. God's response to our sin is not hate, but it's love and, and encouragement. He's not a God with lightning bolts waiting for you to mess up to go, you, who else is going to mess up? And we have this idea of God as this just condemning. He can't wait for us to mess up so he can go throw something at us and make our life terrible. That's not who he is. God's response to sin is love and encouragement. That's why Jesus died. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us and called us friends because of our sin, because of our defeat. So, so let's not put God, is judgment coming? Absolutely it is, but we've been forewarned. We know it's coming. He's a God of hope. His first words are, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I've got a plan for you. The best is yet to come in there. And then he takes them back to that place of defeat. And so we can learn from it. And, and, and if you think about even last week, what we learned, um, that hiding our sin makes us dead. But we're really good at it. We lie about it. We cover it up. That's what Achan did, right? He stole the devoted things, buried them under his tent. He hid his sin and he died. Because the wages of sin is death. That hasn't changed. And so here he is in this moment doing that. And God has a way of doing that. He takes us back, like I said. Think about when, when, um, when, uh, when Peter denied Jesus It says in Scripture he was around a charcoal fire when he denied him. There's only two times in the Bible that charcoal fire is mentioned. When Peter denied him and when Jesus restored him. You think the sights and the smells and the sounds of a charcoal fire didn't remind him of what he had done to Jesus? And then he brought him right back to a charcoal fire on the beach and had a meal with him and restored him? See, God has a way of taking our defeats and making them victories because nothing is wasted in God's economy. Even the things that feel like loss, even the things that feel like defeat, God uses for his glory in spite of our sin, in spite of ourselves. And that's what happens in this story. Defeat is inevitable if we fight in the flesh. I mean, please know that. Galatians 5, 16 says, if we walk in the spirit, we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. But if we don't walk in the spirit, what are we going to do? We're going to carry out the desires of the flesh. Sin will trap you. And so understand that. Defeat is inevitable we fight in the flesh, but defeat is never failure. Defeat is never failure. It's only failure when we fail to repent and we fail to learn. But defeat does not define us. And so we, we can grab hope in that that's there. And so he tells them that in verse 2, the very part of it. Then we go to the second part, or the, the verse 2, he goes on and gives them the game plan. He says this in the first part. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have victory, I want to have that same victory again. And so I'll just do the same thing I did before. So whenever I hear this in the scripture, you're going to do to Ai the same thing you did to Jericho. I'm like, all right, get the ark, get the trumpets. Let's go. We're marching six days. Seventh day, we're going to go seven times, just like Jericho, right? Like, I know how to do that. I've got this victory, guys. Thanks for the orders. We'll see you later. And we tend to go, I got... You know why? Because we don't listen to God's second sentence. Just like I never listened to my parents' second sentence. Alan, I need you to do this. All right, then I'm done. I didn't hear the other seven things I needed to do, and I get in trouble and wonder why. And that's what we do with God. We hear that first sentence and go, all right, got it. And we don't listen to the rest of it. And it ends up getting us in trouble because we're not connecting with Him and hearing everything that's there. I, it would be, we would be wise to listen to all that God says before we turn our ears off and take action. He's got a plan, but we've got to listen to it. We've got to hear the whole thing that's there. So then he continues. Let's listen to the rest of his sentence after he says in verse 2, Do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except, oh, there's more, except that you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourselves. Oh, that's awesome. I get prizes. Hey, this is fun. We didn't get the toys last time. Aiken did mess it up for all of us. Sorry, dog, but now we get prizes. Okay, this will be fun. Let's go wipe out the city and get all these prizes. And then he finishes with one more sentence: "Set an ambush behind the city." Wait, what? I thought we're going to march around it. We're going to do like we did to Jericho. We'll march around and we'll clap and we'll cheer and, and we'll just go, and the walls will fall, and we get all the toys. Set an ambush behind the city. God, you're changing the game plan. Yeah, obviously. If you'd have listened to me the first time, 36 dads and husbands wouldn't be dead right now. You cost yourself because you didn't listen to me. Let me give you the new game plan. Let me tell you how we're going to defeat AI. I've already given it to you, but I still need you to follow my marching orders to get there, right? So then he begins to give the plan that's there. And he lays it out for him. We start in verse 3. And this is just a great story, so we're just going to unpack it. Jump into this story. Don't read this as a history lesson. Don't look at this as a book like, oh, it's a great story. It's not just a great story. It's life lessons for us today. There's so much we can pull out of it. So jump into the story and tell. It's like story time. All right, grab your whoopee. Here we go. Set an ambush behind the city, he ends with verse 2. That's all he gave him. So Joshua takes this. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. 30,000. There was 10% of that last time. 30,000 just for the ambush. That's only part of the army, right? So he takes these 30,000 and he sends them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us as they did before, we will flee from them. Oh, new game plan. Like I want to see this on the DVR of heaven. Like, I want to watch the armies move out. 30,000 quietly, quietly set an ambush behind the city, right? And the rest of the army is going to come with Joshua and they're going to sneak up to the front gate because that's a military strategy The smart attack base camp. No, you lure them out of base camp. But anyway, and so they, they tell them to do that. Um, and then they, they, if they did before. We will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up and ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Awesome. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it you have my orders. So he gives them this, like this is what's going to happen. Thirty thousand, you're going to go over here, you're going to hang out there tonight, you're going to wait for my signal, then you're going to go in because we're going to get up close to the city. And this is where the World Cup strategy first came from. We're going to sneak up to the city, pretend we're hurt, fall down, ah, and then we'll get up and play again because that's what they do in the World Cup. And so that's the whole strategy that they have right there, and they're attacking in this way. So they go because they had gone before, and three thousand of them came and they got thirty six killed, ah, they ran away. So we're going to do the same thing. we're going to learn from our mistakes. We're going to take something that we thought was defeat in the hands of God; it becomes victory, and He uses that same thing, and He takes them and says, "Now get close to the city." The king's going to be like, "I'm going to get you. I already got you." And then they're going, "No, don't get us!" They run away, and they come out of the city. So there's the plan. You have your orders. Bam. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai, but Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, oh, the next day, Joshua mustered his men, and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had other soldiers take up their positions. So there's 25,000 here. There's 5,000 here. All those in the camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. Now it's happening, right? Now we're going to put this plan into action. Every, every piece is in place. We've got it there. We know what the, how the king's going to respond. When the king of Ai saw this, he and, the men, and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place. All the men, every single fighting man they had, they emptied the barracks, they got the cooks. They got everybody. We're gonna go fight these guys. We beat them the other day. We're gonna beat them again. That Joshua guy that got so famous because of his victories at Jericho and places. I'm gonna take him out. This is gonna be fun. Like they are fired up to go do this. This is fantastic. So it says, um, but he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back. Ah, my leg. Ah, my Achilles. But uh, before them, and they fled toward the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Uh Uh-oh. They got so cocky and so caught up in that moment that we are going to rush in. We're just going to take everybody and go because this is the only army they got. Let's go get them. We got them once. We'll get them again. Here they go. Have no idea what's happening behind the city have no idea what's going on. Then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out towards AI, the javelin that's in your hand for into your hand, I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward AI. As soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from their positions, rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Man, that's so cool. He turns around and running. Oh, we're so scared. We're so scared. Oh, and they're like, he stopped. Let's go get him. But the men in the ambush go, that's our sign. They come into the city, right? Like, women and children, sorry, we're setting everything on fire, right? And they say they set everything on fire, and the city is in flames right now. And it wasn't difficult. Every man had left the city, and now you've got 30,000 people coming to take over. Not a difficult situation. They go in and light the city on fire. Oh, it's so cool. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky. But they had no chance to escape in any direction. So they're fighting them. They're they rushing? Ah, they're running away. Let's get them! Ah, and all of a sudden, bah, What does that mean? Let's look back. It's on fire! Ah, did you leave the crockpot on? Like, this is us. But but we're we're there, and then and, and the city's on fire, and they're freaking out of what's happening there. And so they could not escape in any direction. For the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against their pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from the city, you talk about giving them some motivation, some encouragement. They saw the smoke coming up from the city. They turned around and attacked the men of Ai. The men of the ambush, 30,000, also came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the middle. Man, how cool is that? They go in, they light it on fire like our job here is done currently. Let's go here. And they come after them. And then the, the, Joshua and his guys turn around. And so the men of Ai are like, ah, ooh, out there, we're stuck in the middle. Like they're scared now. These, these arrogant, cocky guys are now completely scared. They were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, which their guys had died there, blood on top of blood. And when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. We're going to wipe out all the men that came out to fight. Then we're going to go back to your city and kill every living human being in that city. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day. All the people of Ai not a single survivor, not a fugitive, no one escaped. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. We're going to burn everything. We're going to take all your good stuff. And we get it this time. It's not wrong. It's not sin to do it. We are going to get to reap these rewards in this. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. Can I tell you, Ai means heaping ruins. That's what Ai means, heaping ruins. Here's a picture of it, modern day Ai, right there. Heaping ruins. Keep that picture up for just a second, Jeff, if you would. Because it says, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree. That's a very nice way of saying they impaled him on a tree. Like, it wasn't just a little pleasant little rope thing. They impaled him on this tree and left him there till evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Can I tell you, and you'll hear this more in just a minute, that's a strategy that the devil thought was successful. He watched the Israelites do this. They took this guy, impaled him on a tree, and then buried him in rocks. And he stayed there. Fast forward. If it worked for the Israelites, it'll work for me, said Satan. Let's get that Jesus guy and impale him on a tree and put him in rocks. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. See? See, Jesus defeats everything. It doesn't doesn't work for that and so we have this and we got this this strategy that's happening and this story that's so cool and they just wipe everything out and the celebration that's there and the heap of ruins that ai became and victory was theirs and they received the plunder and they watched the king and every nation there watched this king die and said we are leaving no one what victory is that from from what had been defeat they were their hearts were like water and melted And now they are celebrating victory. Why? Because they did it God's way. They didn't do it their way this time. They learned from their defeats. They learned from their failures. And they went and did it. So what do we need to learn out of this? Five things I want to tell you that we need to learn. I think these are super important for us to get right here. One is this. God has given us a victory plan, but we must follow his orders. We must follow his orders. We have a victory plan. God has it in place. John ten ten said, "The enemy comes to kill, kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly." Right? He's got a plan. It's a victory plan for us, but it, it, it is imperative that we follow His orders. We must spend time with Him before the battle, not after. We tend to we. Let me just say, I, I have a tendency to blame God for my defeats because He didn't protect me. When He says, "Why didn't you check with me first?" He stepped out of my will. It's amazing how much God protects us in times of danger and in times of stupidity. What a great God he is. But we've got to check in with him. We've got to check in with him. The victory plan is there, but we've got to follow his orders. Number two is this. The battle has been won, but we still must be prepared to fight. The battle's been won, but we must be prepared to fight. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Okay, he's given us that, right? We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Then we're going to have to conquer something. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You think all those things feel good? You have this tendency that following Christ is a feel-good thing. Following Christ is a collision sport. Following Christ, if you're not bumping into the enemy, going head-to-head, you're probably walking the same way he is. You're going to have collisions with the enemy. He's setting traps for you. He's putting potholes in the way. He's got this stuff he's trying to do. But the the, the deal is we have to be prepared to fight. God gives you things that doesn't mean you don't have to fight for them. We still have to fight for them. We still have to take the land. Number three is this about the enemy. The enemy is more relentless than we think and less intelligent than we think. Let me say that again. The enemy is more relentless than we think and less intelligent than we think. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's been his game plan from the beginning. It hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his tactics. He hasn't changed any of those things. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy anything that looks like heaven. What looks like heaven? Marriage, family, the church. When there was a crisis of aloneness and God said it's not good for man to be alone, let me give you three things that will solve that crisis. Marriage, family, the church. Those are worth fighting for. Understand that, that, that he's not going to change his tactics on that. That's what he's after. That's what we should be fighting for. That's what we should be protecting. That should be important to us to do that. He still thinks he can beat Jesus. He can't, but he can beat us when we walk away from Jesus. That's when we get wounded. That's when we get shot down. But don't forget he's relentless. He's relentless. You may win that battle. You may say, I'm standing strong in the Lord and we're going to get through this and we're marriage or our relationship or our whatever is going to be good. you choose your sin. I choose my sin. And we say, the devil made me do it. It was the devil's fault. No, the devil made have put it up in front of you. He still chose it. I still chose it. Quit giving him credit for being more intelligent than he is. He wants to kill you. But so these will us, don't forget that. So we've got to stand strong. Number four is this. So one, God, give us a victory plan. We're going to follow the orders. Two, the battle. Thank you. So too many of us are in that situation that's happening right there. And the reason I say don't fight naked, anybody that went to sixth grade VBS in the last 20 years would know this. don't come to VBS naked. Why? We put on what? Somebody tell me. The full armor of God. That's exactly right. We put on the full armor of God. God doesn't want us to fight naked. If he didn't want us to fight, he wouldn't give us armor. I can understand that. He knows we're going to be in fights, so he equips us. He gives us armor to do that. And what's the first piece of armor that's mentioned in there? The belt of truth. Why is that so significant? Everything's connected to it. The belt of truth is put on. The breastplate of righteousness connects to the belt. The helmet of salvation connects to the breastplate. Your sword goes to your belt. Everything's connected. And so when you drop your, your belt, you ever try to run or fight with your pants at your ankles? Like, is that the way we're going to go into battle? I got this. No, we don't. And so we we take off our belt of truth or we never put it on. Can I tell you, it's the easiest piece. There's nothing struggle about a belt. It's not a shield. It's not a helmet that has to be fit. It's a belt. And God made it the most important one because it holds so many things together. Can I tell you this? If we would literally put on our belt of truth every day, we wouldn't have affair problems. If we put on the belt of truth, we wouldn't have teenage pregnancy problems. We wouldn't have STD problems. But we're okay with letting our pants drop because a little lie is no big deal. Because a little truth hurts too much. Truth hurts, but lies kill. We've got to stand on truth. We've got to put on the armor that's there. And then our breastplate of righteousness won't rattle around. And our helmet of salvation stays fight, tight. And then our sword of the Spirit, which you understand is the Word of God. This is the sword, and it is a weapon that we need to know how to use. But if we don't have our belt on, there's no place to put it, so we just set it off to the side and wonder why we don't have any way to fight. Don't put your sword down because you don't have your belt on. Put your belt of truth on and then attach your sword to it so it's ready when the enemy comes. Don't fight naked. And the last one is this. Don't fight alone don't fight alone. That seems easy and logical, but the reality is that what we deal with is so many people, even in a crowd like this, feel alone. You may be lonely, but you're never alone. Number one, God is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. If you're a child of God in a relationship with him, he will never leave you or never forsake you. So you're not alone in that. But the second thing is this, we were meant to fight together. The body of Christ was meant to fight together, was meant to stand together. And, and so I want to demonstrate this with, with something. Three and a half years ago, Doug Doty, um, who's an amazing guy, Green Beret, Seven Purple Hearts, all the, the cool stories, um, t- taught me this. And I want to show it to you because I think it's a great example of what God's plan is. Now, is his plan going to be exactly the same for you? No, it wasn't the same for Jericho that it was for AI. The game plan changed. It's not going to be the same for me as it is for you. So we're going to have there, But there's some, some foundational things that don't change. And this is what I want to do. Um, where are we at? Abernathy, come here. You're a big and strong, good looking fella. So here's what I want you to do. If you will just come stand right here. In a military uh, activity that takes place, just stand facing forward. This is what would happen when they get a group together to go and check out uh, an area that's been shot or whatever. They're going to do this investigation. So they get one guy right here that's the lead. You look straight ahead and up. That's what you do. You look straight ahead and up. That's the only place that you look right there. All right? So you got that right there. Okay, Carl, come here. We're going to get Carl up here. Carl wants you to stand right on his shoulder, okay? You're going to stand right here to that, and you're going to look to the left and down. To the left and down. That's where you look. Left and down, nowhere else. No funny faces at him. Left and down. That's what you're going to do over there, okay? That's what's going to happen. All right. Come on. You're coming with me. Oh, yeah. I'm not giving you a choice. Come on, Jonathan. Here we go. Jonathan's going to stand right here on his his right shoulder. Same thing right here. And you're going to look down and to the right. That's what you're going to do. Down to the right. Don't look anywhere else, but down and to the right, that's what you do. Down to the left over there. Amy, come here. Yeah. Girls can do this too. And so you're going to stand right here on Carl's shoulder, and you're going to look to the left and up. Left and up. That's what you do, like an Olin Mills photo. <laughs> that's what I want you to do. All right? So up and to the left. That's what you're going to do right there. That'll be fair. Maggie. Maggie, will you come help me? Come on, Maggie. This is my friend Maggie. Maggie, if you'll stand right here next to Jonathan, if you'll stand on his shoulder... And I want you to look up and to the right the whole time. Just keep looking up and to the right. Just look up and to the right. Look at this right here. See, this is a wedge. This is a thing that takes place right here that, that they count on each other. Because if something comes and it's straight ahead and up, Mike's going to see that. But if it's down here to the left, he's not. So Carl's going to see it. And he's going to alert them there. But if a plane flies over to the right and all five people go, hmm, okay, then what's going to happen over here? But Amy's watching. Quit. No, nope, straight ahead. And so that's what we're going to do. Keep that looking right there because it's Maggie's job to look up and to the right. That's what we're going to do, right? But there's one more piece that's important. Tim, come here. Yeah, you. Come on. I know you're a visitor, but it's okay. I know you. So come stand right behind him, and I want you to look at me. Turn around and look at me. So you're right here. This is the man that comes. Now, what this guy does, he's got your back. This is the guy when they go marching in up, down, left, right. They have it covered, but their back is not covered, Right. This person walks backwards. When they go into a situation, into an area, this is the guy walking backwards. So you know who gets to set the pace? This guy. They walk as fast as this guy. Who is this guy in this story right here? It's Jesus. And you have a cool beard like Jesus. So it's, it's Jesus. And when we walk ahead of Jesus and we get a pace that's too fast for Jesus, we open up our back. Because he didn't give us a backplate in the armor of God. He gave us himself. And he said, I will lead you. I will set the pace. The Holy Spirit will show you the direction to go. I've got your back. And when we walk away from Jesus or we take our eyes off of where it's supposed to be, then we get shot because we need each other. In this body, we need each other. In your family, we need each other. In this community, the churches need each other. In this world, we need each other. And if we're too busy shooting each other, we're missing out on this and the victory that has given us. We're not supposed to fight alone. We stand together in this wedge, in this way, and we do our responsibility. Even if we don't like them. Even if we don't trust them. Even if they hurt me. They're still my brother and sister in Christ and they're forgiven and we are forgiven. And it's time to get in this formation and fight for our families and fight for our marriages and fight for our church and fight for the gospel. We need some people to do that. And it's time. Too often we are living in the defeat of AI instead of the victory that is due us. Because he's given us the victory. We've got to go take it. Isn't this a great picture of the body of Christ working together? And if, I, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, it hurts someone else. And I'll close with this before you guys sit down. Because one piece of armor that's important is that shield of faith. Now, here's the thing about that shield. I think that too often we have the mindset of this. We think our shield of faith looks like Captain America. It's just round, right? Can I tell you the shield of faith God's talking about goes head to toe. But our shield of faith is the only piece of armor that shrinks and grows. Because when our faith is not strong, our our shield shrinks. And when our faith is strong, it's good. Why is that important? Because there's times I need to hide behind your shield. Because my faith isn't strong. And there's times you need to hide behind my shield because your faith isn't strong. And we need to be okay with that. We don't need to be comparing shields all the time. My shield is bigger than your shield. That's arrogance. It leads to defeat. You're looking inward at your own self and think you're good. It's not even your shield. It's God's. It's your faith in him. And we need to have some shields that can protect marriages, families, the church, the gospel. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat if you would. So the guess I question I have for you today is this. Who are your people? Are you living in defeat right now? Because the last time you tried, you just you couldn't do it. So why try again? And maybe you need some encouragement. You need to be reminded that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Maybe you need to, to get that encouragement again to get up and go because you've given up on taking what he's given you. Because it's too hard of a fight. Stop it. I mean, maybe your pants are at your ankles. You need to get your belt of truth back on. You need to confess and repent. You need to come to this altar and lay some things down. Maybe you need some intimacy. We have the Lord's Supper over here. If you want to go and have that time with God and say, what am I marching orders?" I tell our students all the time, Do you want to hear God twice? Obey Him once. Then He'll speak a second time. Why should He speak again if you're not going to obey the first thing He says? I don't know what you need to do, but I know this. You need to respond to God because he did not create you to live in defeat. He did not give the Israelites the land to go get beat. He gave them to go take it. And when they focused on themselves and their own way of doing things, it cost them. Let's do it God's way. And it may be weird and unorthodox and not normal, but it's greater than us. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up, and you're just going to respond. I mean, we're still before 12, so we're early. We're early. So I want you to respond by coming this way, not looking for ways to get out of that way because you're like, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. I'm sweating too. I've had to deal with this all week long and have to to work through some things. But I promise you this, God's not done talking and he's not done using you. If you have breath, you have a reason to live and it's to fight for the gospel. And I want to challenge us to do that in whatever way we need to respond today. And I don't even know this Jesus guy. Well, come talk to me or one of these prayer partners. We'd love to introduce you to the king of the universe. Have a personal relationship with him.